Father God, help us as we look into your word, Father, help us uh, to uh, be spoken to. Father, give us open ears and soft hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, knowing the purpose of something can be uh, the difference between loving something and hating it. Now, I used to hate these. You see what that is? Bees. Uh, in fact, we had one in our house this morning that somehow got in yesterday when we had uh, the door open. And if anyone has known me very long, they'll know that if there's a bee in the house, I run a mile and it's up to my wife Caroline to deal uh, with bees. Um, if you'd asked me when I was younger, I would have happily wiped out all bees from the face of the earth. But since then, I've discovered the purpose of bees. They don't just go around making a noise. Now, if you're a child, what sort of noise do uh, bees make? Sort of a buzzing sort of sound, isn't it? That's right. Um, without bees, though, do you know, there'd be no flowers. And without flowers, there'd be no food. And without food, there'd be nothing to fight about over at Sainsbury's, would there? But knowing the purpose of bees changed my mind about them. I, I love bees, in a way. I still don't want to be stung by one. But I'm very glad now that God put bees into our world. Well, the question this morning is, what is the purpose of our Christian meetings, meeting together as Christians? Again, knowing the purpose could be the difference between loving them and hating them. Now, it's both timely and ironic that I chose back in December to put this in the diary for this week. God, it certainly seems, has a sense of humour. This is the first Sunday, of course, that we can't meet together. So why look at Christian meetings when we can't meet well, if we know what their purpose is, then we'll know what we need to make up for. Because we know bees help the flowers make other flowers, if there were no bees, we'd have to find some other way to help the flowers to grow and to make other flowers. So if we have no meetings, then we'll have to find another way of doing what they do. And I'm going to tell you this morning that joining in on a screen is good, but it's not enough. And we'll find out why as we go through three words beginning with E to help us think this through. Some of the points may overlap a little as we deal with these three uh, different parts. The first point this morning, one of the purposes as we meet together, is... Let's see if this works. Equipping. That's the first uh, reason that we meet together. And that's really looking at that passage that we saw uh, from uh, uh, Ephesians. This is what we get from God. So if you were to think about it in terms of an arrow, it's like the things that we get from God coming down, equipping. That's really what we're thinking about in our first point. And the goal here is maturity. The goal is growing up in the faith, not being baby Christians anymore. You might have heard that word earlier in Ephesians 4, where it talks up about us being mature, attaining to the full stature of the fullness of Christ. It's talking about growing up, not being baby Christians anymore. After being a baby for a couple of years, you grow up, don't you? But being a Christian a few years doesn't mean automatically that you grow up. Actually, that might be true of age as well, if you think about it with some folks. But there is a danger that we become Peter Pan Christians. Never growing up, remaining a baby. Now, children, if you're listening, what, what sound does a baby make? Yeah, lots of screaming. You could stop that now. It could get annoying, couldn't it? 
But uh, the picture here is that we don't want to remain a baby. The other picture that Paul gives us in this passage in Ephesians 4 is the picture of a boat or a ship being carried up and down. Uh, do you see that there uh, in verse 14? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What it's saying here is that you can be a Christian but a shaky one. There's a danger that we stay Christians tossed to and fro by every new thing, rattled by every new idea, shaken by every dodgy thing that comes along, never really becoming stable or mature. So to avoid those things, God has given us gifts. And the first gifts that he's given us are people. Do you see that there? Uh, right back at the beginning, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. He there is the risen Christ. He gave the church gifts. Firstly, the apostles and prophets. What Ephesians 2.20 calls the foundation of the church. The part that was there at the beginning to found the church, to start it. A solid foundation for the church worldwide to be built on. We have what they wrote and what they said for us in the words of the Bible. That's what we've got there. The New Testament was called by some early Christians, the memoirs of the apostles. So God gave us those which we find in the Bible. Second, there are evangelists and pastor teachers or shepherd teachers. The emphasis with evangelists is one who speaks the word to not yet believers. The pastor teachers, which seemingly one role, there's just uh, one uh, thing that keeps them together there in that verse. The pastor teachers speak the word to believers. But the end goal with both is mature believers. They're given as God's way of equipping the saints, equipping Christians for ministry. What the passage here explains is speaking the truth in love. That's what the ministry is. We're to speak the truth in love to one another. We're to help apply God's word to one another. The Spirit gives us all spiritual gifts. So it's not just gifts of people, but spiritual gifts to us as well, God gives us. The gifts vary, but this speaking the truth in love is a ministry for all believers to build up the church. And my role as a pastor of a church is equipping others to do ministry, to serve one another. What does service look like? Well, verse 15 tells us. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. So what it's saying there is the job of a minister is to equip others to do ministry. So I'm a minister, but my job is to get others, if you like, to do ministry. I speak the truth to you to equip you to speak it to others and to each other. What do I mean by that in terms of the practice? Well, I mean that a sermon is good, but it's not enough. Good Bible teaching is essential for a church, absolutely, amen. But if we think that's all we're doing on a Sunday, then we're mistaken. The Bible talk, the sermon, is only the beginning. It's like hearing the instructions of a new game before you play it. It's like reading the question on an exam paper. It's like setting up a new computer or iPad or phone before you use it. The ministry, as this passage speaks about it, is what takes place after, takes place over coffee, takes place through the week. If we think it stops with the sermon, it's like hearing the instructions of the game and then not playing it. 
It's like reading the question but never answering it. It's like setting up a new device or uh, computer and never using it. The sermon is there to equip me to worship God with the whole of my life. And we're to speak the truth about it to each other. So there's a vertical aspect. There's that coming down, what I get from God. But it isn't to stop with me. It's to flow out to others. The pastor teacher's sermon is supposed to be like a conversation starter for the week. To think through together as a church what it means for us as a group as, and as individuals to live that way. In a sense, over this time apart, uh, while we're just uh, looking at being online, we're only going to be having one sermon. And that actually might help us to set the agenda for the week as we've just got that one thing to think about, that one thing to talk about. The sermon isn't supposed to stop with us. And the same is true here at the role of evangelists. They're given not to do evangelism, but to equip other Christians to do it. But that's probably a discussion uh, for another time. But one of the reasons that we gather together is to be equipped, to receive, to be taught, to be equipped. But as we've already seen, it doesn't stop there. The second purpose that we meet together for is for encouraging. And we see this in Hebrews 10. 19 to 25. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. If you haven't got a Bible with you, then you can just listen along. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised, who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What it's saying there is that we meet together to encourage one another. We meet together to spur one another on to love and good works. And that means that there's a horizontal aspect to church as well. There's a one anothering that we do. We're told in the Bible to encourage one another. We're told in the Bible to teach one another. And this can be one of the hardest things when we can't meet together. This is really though the heart of why we meet together. Other things we can do online, so to speak. We can hear the word. But we can't one another without actually being in contact with one another. Equipping can happen by video to a degree, but mutual encouragement can't be delivered via YouTube or uh, Twitch or any other thing that I found this week for uh, streaming. That is not to say there is nothing that we can do. Being apart from one another is nothing new. Hebrews itself was written by someone who was apart from the people he was writing to. He calls his letter in Hebrews 13, 22, a word of exhortation. Same word as encouragement there, a word of encouragement. In the old world, they wrote letters to one another, to exhort one another, to encourage one another. Could we do the same? Not letters, perhaps, although you might want to, but text messages, emails, phone calls, WhatsApp messages. 
As I said before, we set up a WhatsApp group uh, for our life groups and one for the whole church as well. And the goal there is encouragement, is to enable this to happen through the week. There's a comment section at the bottom of the page here to try and get something going like that if you're not in the WhatsApp group. Could you ring someone afterwards and perhaps or, or video call them or, or do something and talk through what you've heard, almost like tea and coffee time? And that's the hard part. You can't really have a virtual tea and coffee time. But it's vital for the spiritual health of the church. So we need to do what we can to make that happen. <laughs> if you're watching from another church, could you get something like this going for your church? It only takes a few to get it going. It only takes a few to share some encouragement. Some might want to share their testimony or share something that they've read online. Just to keep us encouraged. If that doesn't work, send me a message and I'll add you to one of ours. It is so, so important that we stay encouraged at the moment. But what does the writer to Hebrews mean by encouragement? We've already seen that it's translated differently in different places. Well, the original word in Greek is parakletos. It means to come alongside of someone. It's the word used in the Bible of the Holy Spirit, our paraclete, our comforter. And that's the first meaning, comforting. As we encourage one another... We should be looking to comfort one another. These are hard days that we're living in and uh, we all need a bit of comfort, don't we? We all need a bit of encouragement in that way. The image of the word there is of coming alongside someone and laying your hand on their shoulder. It's that I'm with you through this kind of encouragement. We see that in the Bible. In fact, the most repeated command in the Bible is not do not steal or, or do not murder, but do not fear. That's the one we find the most in the Bible. We need to keep encouraging one another, comforting one another, consoling one another. Life is difficult, but God is with us. Last year, we looked at the Heidelberg Catechism for our kids groups. Google it if you don't know what it is. The first question in the catechism is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer was this, that I am not my own but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. In other words, what is my only comfort in life and death? It's the gospel. That is our comfort. If we really want to comfort one another, the gospel is the place to go. Reminding one another of the truths of the gospel. That we are not our own, but belong to Jesus. That Jesus has paid the price for our sin. That we are rescued, not because of our works or our goodness, but because of God's mercy, because he is merciful. We are saved by faith alone. It's a reminder that God cares for us and works all things for our good. That the Holy Spirit lives inside us and strengthens us each day. There is much encouragement in the gospel. There is much comfort. So we need to work hard at that comfort aspect. We all need a bit of that at the moment, don't we? The second meaning is more active, spurring. Have a look again at verse 24 of Hebrews. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That stirring one another up, it mentions, has the idea of something sharp. The word is used of sharp disagreements and even sharp swords. Some translations have spur, like those sharp bits that you put on shoes to encourage a horse to move. So there's another side to encouragement. We're supposed to encourage one another to love and good deeds. We're supposed to help one another live for Jesus, help one another worshipping God with the whole of our lives. It's not suggesting we get a cattle prod out or anything, but there is a sense in which encouraging will involve an element of challenging one another, exhorting, urging, pressing one another to live for Jesus. Not in an unkind, unthoughtful way, not in an intimidating, nasty way, but in a way that shows that we care about each other. There's a saying, isn't there, that God takes us as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us as we are. And we should reflect that as we help one another live for Jesus. We should be helping one another keep going for Jesus. Paul elsewhere calls this same idea edification or, or building up. In our passage in Ephesians before, Ephesians 4.12, it was for the building up of the body, that same word. Or verse 16 in Ephesians, so that it builds itself up in love. Or in one of our passages last week from 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Building up is the goal of the meeting. So we encourage one another. So we need to be encouraging each other in all these ways. Comforting, spurring, building up. And again, sermons are a start, but they're not enough. Sermons can comfort and stir us to love and good works, but not like those individual conversations where we work out what this means for our day-to-day -day lives, where we can rejoice with one another, where we can mourn with one another and cry with one another and be challenged by one another. And the tools are the same, aren't they? The Word of God. But it's not like that we just sort of quote verses at each other, like some weird Bible chess game, you know, John 3.16, 1 Corinthians 7, I, I better not give a random verse there, but it's not, not that idea. But we are to take the truths of scripture and help apply them to each other's lives. So when we talk about the coronavirus, for example, we can help one another think through our fears, our anxieties, our worries in light of scripture. Not in a judgy, thou shalt not way, but in a way that encourages one another to keep going, coming alongside one another as we do it. I know I've used it before, but I think that the image of the Brownlee brothers and the way that they helped one another on that race is a wonderful picture of what we're to do. They picked the other person up and helped them over the line. He spurred him on, if you like. He encouraged him when he really needed it. And I suspect over the coming weeks and months, we'll be need to, doing that, uh, need to be doing that for each other in every way possible. The purpose of our gathering, the real heart of it, is for encouragement. Let's not lose that while we can't gather together. And then finally, our last point, and more briefly, exalting. Really, this is the arm that we use in my things here, the arrow, but pointing up rather than down. And this should be part of our meeting. Because it should be part of our lives, shouldn't it? 
Because as we said last week, um, actually worship is the whole of our lives in response to God's word. This is part of what we do. I'm reluctant to call this worship um, because of what I said last week about the fact that it can confuse things. The whole of our life is worship. If you've no idea what I'm talking about, then the talks are online or on our website. But it is important to respond to what God has revealed to us. That's the essence of what this is, exalting. But it's something that we do throughout the week as well, as we worship God with the whole of our lives, at work, at school, at play, or as they're all called now, at home. In Christian meetings, it really takes two forms, prayer and praise. Prayer, first of all. This is easy to miss. Indeed, one Sunday morning, I actually did. I forgot to include the prayers uh, one Sunday morning, uh, which was a bit embarrassing. But very few people actually noticed afterwards. A couple of people said, oh, we didn't have any prayers this morning. Um, but I'd totally forgotten. But prayer is mentioned in the Bible as a response to God way more than singing. As we read through the Bible, as we hear it preached, our response should be prayer. I love the fact that at Bethel so many folks have taken up praying through scripture, reading a passage and basing your prayers on what you read. It trains us to respond to God's word rightly. So that's prayer. That's one of the ways that we respond to God in the, in the vertical direction. And then praise. This is not so easy to miss. Could you imagine a Sunday morning meeting with no hymns or songs? Of course, praise is more than that. Praise is when we exalt something. We can praise our spouse. I'd recommend that. A teacher can praise their pupils. Doesn't necessarily mean they sing at them, though those who are at school might know something different. Equally, prayers can be sung. Many hymns are actually prayers, like the song we sung before this talk, that God would speak to us. There's a vertical element to it. The Bible can be sung, a way to let Christ's word dwell in us richly. That's what we did earlier as we were singing that memory verse. There's a horizontal element as well as we encourage one another in song. We'll be doing that at the end as we sing things to each other to encourage one another to keep going. These all overlap in that way. But praise, as I say, is more than singing. It goes beyond what we do in a meeting, in our conversations, in our internal monologues, the thoughts that we have in our head. But on Sundays, as with the rest of the week, uh, it's not dependent on a great singing voice but on a great saviour. Praise is something that happens in our hearts and it comes out on a Sunday in our voices to encourage one another. That's why it's good to sing out loud. Again, something we're sort of going to miss, hearing each other's voices. They're an encouragement to one another. But as hymn writer Bob Coughlin wrote, the critical question is not, do I have a voice, but do I have a song? And if you're a true worshipper, forgiven, reconciled to God, through the atoning work of Christ, the resounding answer is yes. It is the song of the redeemed for their great redeemer. What he says there is that it matters that we have a song. If we have a song, we'll find ourselves singing. We'll find ourselves praising in a million and one ways in the week. In song, yes, but in conversation, in thought, in text. The plan was, going, um, the plan was to have a whole week on singing next week. And see how that fits with worship. I'm going to think through whether that's best for us or whether to start something new in the light of the new format. I appreciate your prayers and feedback on that. But singing is, is good, isn't it? But we must make sure more than that, that we have a song. If we have a song, we will sing. Even if we sound like a strangled cat, 
The music that we make in our hearts is pleasing to God. Singing is good, but it's also by no means the whole of worship. And it's not the purpose, really, of our meeting together. It's good, but it's not the goal. It's a means to a wonderful end, like a bee with a flower helping the flowers to grow. Our goal is equipping, encouraging and exalting that God might be glorified and the church built up. That is the purpose of our meetings, with special emphasis on the middle one, because that's really the one that we need to be together to do. Knowing the purpose of something can be the difference between loving something and hating it. Let's pray that in this difficult season we would love meeting together virtually and long to be back together uh, when it's all done. Let's pray in response to what we've heard. Father God, help us in the absence of our meeting to do these three things we've been talking about, Father. Equipping, encouraging and exalting. Father, we especially pray for help with encouraging. Father, we pray that things like the WhatsApp group and the comments section and phone calls and text messages might be so helpful. Father, give us strength, give us ideas uh, as we think this through. For your glory we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.